0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of the High Five Podcast: Working Better Together. With us today is David Dondi, the founder of Truth Coffee, one of the most influential people in Cape Town. Also with us today is Gary Wilmot, the CEO and founder of High Five, as well as being an incredibly interesting and prolific person in the Cape Town business world. You are listening to the voice of who's the new Customer Success Manager at High Five. So without further ado, over to you, Gary.
1: Well, thanks a lot for the introduction, Ophic, and always great to catch up with you, Dave. I know it's been a while, um, and it's great to bump into you on some odd projects now and then. But I think it's it's been incredible to watch the your journey of creating a prolific coffee shop, and I think I think what dawns on me over and over and again every time I walk in there and grab a good good tata, is just the culture, the people, the environment. So really keen just to find out you know just kind of what makes you tick and how you started it and why you started. in the background for how you got involved in in coffee
2: my route to coffee was the traditional uh, journey i started with chicken farming and uh, it's it's a from one one thing to another i think uh the the two things that i've that i've learned along the journey though is um well, actually, I think it's more it, its more than two things, but uh, to get away from commodities, you need to build brands, and the other is to find great people and stay out of their way.
1: It's actually an interesting for me, because I mean, like, its it can easily be said. I mean, there's thousands of coffee shops in South Africa alone, you know, whereas you've built such a, such a unique brand that stands out. I mean... What was the process you went about that? And how did you get people to buy into that? So
2: so I started from the beginning. My main motivation uh, was needing a new living. I was down to my last 15 bucks. I had put my deck out there with quite an ambitious plan. And uh, on my way to a takeaway that I won't mention with my last 15 rand in my pocket, I got a phone call saying, okay, I'll fund you. And from then it was a journey about finding good people, um, strategically looking at, at building a brand and what it took to build a brand and understanding what made us tick and what made us
1: different. Do you find the brand and the culture go hand in hand?
2: I am not sure I know where brand starts and culture starts and where they hand off to each other. I think they are... They're woven together, and brand without culture is worthless, and culture without brand is worthless. Um, and I think they both inform strategy. And I read this the other day, and I'm not sure who to credit, but uh, "culture eats strategy for breakfast" was the was the quote that that I held on to. And I think I think one's got to understand that. And you know, you can say, well, the culture doesn't matter; all that matters is the brand. But a brand is nothing more than what people think about
1: a company, and that's informed surely by the communications with the people. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that whenever I get a sense of whenever I walk in there, I feel like I'm surrounded by uh, like the culture of of Zappos, where the service delivery and the customer service is like way and beyond your normal like coffee establishment. How did you get? your employees to buy into that kind of culture?
2: I think it's by having them understand the, the drug that we sell. Um, ah. And that's not caffeine. It's endorphins. And we need to do that by surprising, by delighting, by allowing people to discover things. And when you get into that mindset and you leave the mindset of selling cups of coffee, and yes, we've got a good product, but the good product isn't the story, the, the good Product is the true part of the story. It's it's about that that delight and our, our our byline has changed over the years, but right now it's the joy of the extraordinary truth and are uh, three words in there that are very hard to define joy extraordinary and truth And we have to live up to them every day and that that's every person's job
1: And I know most companies that you know that put those kind of values or mission statements on the walls I mean, how did you actually get them to just buy into it, you know?
2: By not putting it on, on the wall, by talking about it,
1: yeah. by believing it, and by repeating it often enough until you bore people. Uh, that's great And, and you, you're speaking about talking about it. And, and you know, uh, so often I get this challenge of this uh, this feedback from CEOs and the execs saying, like, we've spoken about it, we keep talking about it, but people aren't buying in. They're not just buying in. I, I can't change the culture. How, do you, because, is there anything you can think of that,
2: yeah because, yeah, because the culture and the strapline and the brand are bolted onto a product or onto a company, and that's not the way you do it. Those are the yeah. core. And if you build out from there, if you start, as Simon Sinek says, with your why, and, and you deeply believe that, then your culture, your values, all of that informs how we all behave, and that is the company. And anyone who thinks... That the company is something bigger than its people
1: is delusional. I see what you mean. It's something you intentionally bought into and believe in, mm-hmm. and it naturally flows from yourself. Whereas you probably find other ex teams or other founder CEOs that they, they probably get mandated or tasked with: okay, I've got to think of a culture, I can think of values. Let me quickly scribble them down, yeah. put them well, on we, the wall. We see it look
2: yeah. like banks that will suddenly change their, their strap line. And then, like a year later, it's out the window because it was too hard. That they, they didn't really believe in it or buy into it. I remember one of the most exciting moments for me was seeing um c when they when they bolted on Trevor Noah and, and they went, like, we're really listening, and you this is our new CEO, and we really are listening, and we're gonna turn things around. We've heard your complaints, we've heard where we're going. And then they proceeded to do absolutely nothing, it was business as usual. I think they stopped being in the cell phone business about a, two months ago. That's the price you pay. If you don't believe that stuff,
1: If it's, oh, it's awesome. it
2: truly embraced that. They might've been the market leaders today. We will put the underdog.
1: Yeah, and it shows you once again, that like culture actually directly ties to business revenue and long-term growth. Oh, I and mean, short term, even short-term, you know, not, like, directly, not super short term because yeah. it
2: takes a while for the world to notice that you really are behaving differently, but they do yeah. notice that you behave differently. I think the short term, and I think that's the problem, the short term is asking too much of it. I think in the medium term, your culture can blow things in the short term, but winning hearts in the short term, I think it's one customer at a time, and, that, and that's another thing. You can't you know, look at market segments, you've got to look at people, and you've got to know that you're dealing with people, and yeah you got some some corporate cultures that don't listen to their customers or don't want to they pay the price for that
1: is there anything you've learned through the process you would have done anything differently or changed? Um, to be able to redo it again
2: yeah i think i started quite late making sure that i had people who could stand up to me i wish i wish that had been a value that i'd put in earlier Um,
1: well i want to i want to just double down on that quickly when you mean people stand up to you, you mean Hiring people that aren't just going to say, yes, sir, please, sir. Yes, David, I'll do that. Yes. It's actually will challenge your requests. Absolutely. And maybe take them a step further.
2: Exactly. And stand up for Um, what they
1: believe in. And I can imagine there's a lot of founders and CEOs that want people just to listen to them and do what they say.
2: Yeah. But the danger of the strong personality is that you end up being your own echo chamber. And that's not healthy. Uh, Why did you hire good people if you don't want them to be better than you at what they do?
1: I can think of so many organizations that are run like that. And it can, obviously, it's quite damaging because you, you're not, um, you're li- almost limiting your growth, I guess.
2: I'd agree with you, except for the almost. Okay. <laughs> A company can never
0: grow if it's full of employees who don't think for themselves. You need to think exactly. You need to be creative, you need to, actually that's to do that's not
2: always true just follow
0: instructions
2: years ago i worked with a company that was super autocratic and it was run like an army and i mean to the point that the ceo would walk in and if you didn't have two photographs on your desk if it was three he would fire you immediately <laughs> um i mean i'm talking about a publicly listed company that was extremely successful the company flew. However, when he died, you had an uh. organization that was designed to follow autocratic instructions from the top. And suddenly it was a headless chicken. And I remember one of the middle managers going, I've got this, this five million rand um, uh, program that would have a payback of three weeks. And he couldn't get it approved. And we're talking uh. about, you know, it, it, it was like, it was insane and he it, it, the, everything was designed to never listen from below it was designed to take instruction from above and of course while oh. you've got an omnipotent uh, founder which
1: they do exist from time to time it worked yeah
2: remove him was hopeless
1: i mean how would you test and assess person before, you know when when the when you're recruiting to find out if they would um be the type of person that wouldn't just take a a uh, decision based uh, uh, a request from yourself and actually take it further. Uh, uh, how do you assess th- that I'm saying th- th- do you want do you
2: want the nice answer or the real answer? No, it's all about real. The real is I don't have a bloody clue, but <laughs> but I, do, I I am honest about it in interviews and I try and get it across and unfortunately uh, I, I I don't trust interviews. Interviews are designed to be won by both sides and Uh. nobody's being honest and everyone's trying to win the interview i have interviewed many people who have desperately tried to win the interview and then when you go okay there's the job they turn you down because the game was the interview and and not about finding a good match and yeah if you
1: ask me we need a better process and i don't know what it is and then like if you um i mean if you had to form some kind of culture team in the company, like who would be a part of that and how would you go about it? Sorry, a
2: cultured team.
1: Yeah. So you so, say
2: some people aren't part of uh, of manifesting the culture.
1: Which well, that's a good, it be Gary? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good question. I think I think, you know, I've seen a lot of sh- scale ups, you know, they've always delegated for HR to be the champion of the culture. Whereas I've seen the most successful companies where the HR, I mean, the CEO is heading up the culture. But then what they've done is they've almost like set up a team to kind of manage, measure, and improve in that culture.
2: So I think when HR doesn't have the authority and doesn't have the CEO or buy-in, they have no chance of manifesting that culture. But yeah. when it's a holistic effort, then HR is reinforcing the culture. A- HR cannot drive the culture.
1: A hundred percent. And I've seen that time and time again. I think, um, yeah, fortunately what happens is the CEOs or founders say, oh, we need this thing called culture. And then they're like, hey, and then they say to HR, hey, can you please manage our culture and like set up things and measure it and, and just see how we're doing. And that's kind of where I see things fall flat. Because on the other hand, every company has actually, cult- every company has got culture.
2: But yeah, you but yeah, it's least. like brand. You you either curate and, and work with it, you don't yeah. own it. And like you know, we never own our brand. Our brand is what customers think of of us and our culture is what the collective turns out to be. You can't, you know, just put up a new sign on the wall and change the culture. It doesn't doesn't work that way. I mean a uh,
0: few perfect examples are that autocratic company you spoke about in Salty. You can't just jump up and say, Well, this is our new culture now and just expect it to change overnight. Well, you
2: can, change is instantaneous. There, were, there was a great line in In Search of Excellence by uh, Tom Peters, the management guru from years ago. He, he gives this example of how long does it take to become the best waiter in the world? And this has stuck with me forever. And you know I've often, uh, you know, when, when trying to, to onboard people, try to discuss that idea with them. And his answer is it's instantaneous if you're gonna be the best waiter in the world, you carry yourself differently, that cloth is like this, and you spend the rest of your life trying to prove it. But that change is instantaneous. But the problem right. is that, that culture becomes a one-week drive and everyone's there and yeah, yo, you've just had the Bosporat and out you come and culture's our new thing. And, and the words of, of the you know the guru are still fresh in your ears and, and a week later is where are corporate results, you know? And, <laughs> Don't, don't give me uh, any more of this culture shit. We're done with that.
1: That was last week, you know. Yeah, That's dangerous. Man. That's uh, crazy. Well, this has been incredible. I think we definitely have to do like a part two of this. Like it's definitely getting down some roads and like a, a further topics I want to discuss. But um, I think before we wrap up, can you just, we just want to answer this a final few questions. Tell yeah. us more about how you spend your day on average. Uh. I don't have a set routine, I'm not
2: one of those people, but I generally wake up pretty early in the morning and connect with my email once. Uh, from then on, it's a sort of random thing. Um, and then uh, try and get some exercise in after that and then and get on with the day. I think the good days is when one's not reactive. Uh, yeah. Bad days are when one is. And I think it's very easy to forget what one's work is and one's work is never meetings and one's work is never answering email. Uh, I think different, different people in different organizations have different roles, but as a CEO, it's uh, strategy, culture leadership. Those are, those are really yeah. the only jobs.
1: That's brilliant. I actually, um, I read a quote a few years ago that I think it's inspired me for quite a while now. And it's, it's creating more value than you consume. And I think so often as leaders or founders or managers, we can get so reactive in terms of just replying to every single email, every hour and trying to answer everyone's answers. Whereas opposed to focusing on what is the vision? What do we want to focus on for the next year? Not even this year. And how, where are we in terms of well, that? Um, I think you know?
2: you're really talking to productivity. Did, did you create value? So it's yeah. it's not so much for me, uh, creating more than you consumed. It's were you productive? Um, and there's one culture that infuriates me and, and truly infuriates me, and that's the busy culture. And we're yeah. tending in startups, we're tending in companies to reward people who are really busy, who put in the hours, but we don't tend to measure their output. And nothing makes me madder than when you say to someone, where is that? And they go, oh, I've been busy with it. I've put in the 80 hours or 100 hours or 150 hours, but there's nothing done. I had a business partner yeah. once, um, who was meant to produce these documents. And every time he'd get to sort of 90%, you know, the, the information that it was meant to present was changing. And we'd been partners for three, four years. And by the time we finished, not one of these things got produced. He'd spent, I don't know, 800 hours, you know, at the, this was on coffee, producing these amazing documents about the farmers and the coffees and everything else. He might as well have sat on the beach. Oh, things terrible. never got used.
0: No, yeah. Once the, you subscribe to that sort of culture, you almost pretend to be busy because you think that productivity is everything, so you just pretend to be busy. You try and make no, it seem like you're as busy as possible.
2: Productivity is everything. Work is nothing. If you can produce the result without work, it's okay. Yeah, Work smart, not hard. Yeah, but we, we, we're celebrating today, particularly in, in the tech world, a culture of busy, of hard work. And if yeah, you're the culture of results, we change things entirely. Especially, I think, as you get more senior, your role is being creative with your business, working on the business, not so much in the business. And if all you're doing is is reflecting hours and and being the first to in and the last out, and you know, just turning that sausage machine faster and faster, you know, what's the what's the the um, the lemming principle just because the group's in formation doesn't mean it knows where it's going you know if you chase yeah. harder and harder in the wrong direction there's no point it's yeah. you know as a leader we have moments of genius and the rest of the time we should have not been in the office but it's knowing when those moments of genius can happen that's the hard bit
1: I think that's the one thing I'm appreciating about COVID like and and where work is going um, especially with remote you know like I think more and more you know, back in the day, companies used to measure success based on numbers and seats and hours in a day. And now it's like, it's quite clear it's all about output because everyone has to work very flexible times. People have got to look up at their kids. Yeah, but they want to do, do you, whatever they can to,
2: How know? do you measure that output? How, how do you, if you're going to create a KPI or an OKR around output, what are you measuring? So we we tend to end up with middle managers who, who like go, uh, okay, well, you know, pages of documentation or keystrokes or whatever it might be. None of that stuff matters. Yeah. That one yeah. moment of genius is real output. That that one strategy that paid off that got implemented is genius. You know, people spending yeah. lots of hours on the long, wrong on the wrong stuff, pointless.
1: Yeah, but that's obviously where the exco and the strategic management's gotta think of really smart Goals that the company is going to focus on, and, and focus on that, not not focus on output for the sake of output, but what is the goals we're achieving this quarter, next quarter, and even in the next few years. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big ongoing change, and, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping companies are rethinking things quite carefully now.
2: And we need to think about the 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 function of middle management because I think that's another place where companies are having their cultures destroyed. A a developed com- company seems to end up with a middle management that's designed to protect the the crew from the exco and the exco from the crew, making sure that that information and action doesn't doesn't travel up and down.
1: And yeah. you've got to break that. That's a, this is another topic. Because I remember with Tony Shea, I mean he obviously went the whole uh holocracy route and that kind of backfired a bit. And I remember even there was a story of Google actually killing their middle managers and almost allowing the engineers to like to get away uh, to do stuff without management I, I remember i don't want to quote too much but i don't know i don't have enough facts but i remember that did backfire them as well and it turned out that you know the teams wanted managers i think it's yeah of course yeah, they do topic. it protects them yeah. from work
2: because
1: because leadership
2: and management have nothing to do with each other if you truly yeah. have a a leader led organization do you require management yeah, then it's
1: all about the people. All about the people. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Okay. Um, and, and is there any like a recent favorite material, reading material that's inspired you? Um, nothing, nothing
2: of late. The one that I keep going back to is the one thing um, and, and trying to get focused on that. And then, and then I get busy. I, I do what I say, not what I, You know, sorry, do what I say, not what I do. Um, I get busy and I have to return back to those fundamentals all the time. What is, what is my real job? Oh, what's the book called again? The One Thing. Why? Uh, what's his name? Keller.
1: Okay, well. It's absolutely okay, brilliant. brilliant. Okay, brilliant. And, I'll uh, definitely check it out.
2: A lot of, it, uh, of his talk is about uh, prioritizing and the word priority is one. It's not a list. So he talks about writing down your top 10 things to do and then basically throwing away nine of
1: them. I think it's one of the biggest things I've built within our culture is uh, we've got this thing called the three frogs and every morning, I just ask the team just to make sure we're on the same page, just to declare the three frogs and the whole rule is they cannot have more than three. That's important that day. And it's actually okay. If you got one, don't feel like you have to have three, but what is the the most important three things you're doing today? Um, just And just stay focused on that because otherwise you get, so distracted and pulled into so many different things that aren't aligned with what your main objectives are. And, it's, and especially, I think right now, I think the biggest challenge with remote work is you've got this um, chat window open on the one side, you've got your productivity tool on the other side, people are changing things left, right, and center, and it's so important for, I think it's almost like an EQ skill that employees have to learn is how to stay focused, and not too distracted, but answering things at the right time and the right moment. Because you also can't sit in your own silo and get back to someone a few days later, you know? So it's got a, it's an interesting.
2: Well, maybe you, yes, should. I think, or maybe, or maybe you should say, I'm never going to answer that question because I'm busy with a better question.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm know. a massive fan of, there's a massive trend towards asynchronous work. Once again, that's a massive change in, in, in culture. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a certain type of person.
2: But I think it that, depends on your role. I think, look, you do have people who are very ops-driven, and that is a lot of small things that need to be ticked off, and that is their yeah. one thing. Um, yeah. But I think when it comes to creatives, to, to mind workers, to leaders, it's, it's a different picture.
1: That's brilliant. Well, man, Dave, thanks again for joining us on the, on the, on the podcast. Tell me, how can people reach out to you um, in the social uh, on- spheres? or?
2: on yeah. on most things at david dundee cool
1: great thanks dave and thanks Ofik, for setting this up it's been really great Brilliant. just catching up and um yeah i'm sure we'll touch base in the future give me a high five i look forward to part
2: two <laughs> cool man thanks okay. Got it, it
0: so as gary said um, that is all the time we have left today unfortunately i would love to carry on these conversations and pick up where we left off and carry on unpacking some of the points that were raised today a massive thank you to gary and david You were both very very interesting and i really enjoyed hearing what you had to say if you want to follow what david's been doing or what we're doing here at high five you can find links to our social depending on where you're listening to this podcast find us on most social media platforms either by just searching high five or at to give a high five i we'll hope you keep well stay safe and until next time